Welcome back to an American Entrepreneur, the podcast where we break through the romantic image cast over entrepreneurship and show people what it's like to be an actual American entrepreneur. Today, I'm joined by Max Naist, <laughs> owner yes, of Fearless Happiness Coaching and Consulting. How's it going? Good. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing fantastic. I'm glad this interview is actually going through. You'd be surprised how many interviews just cancel on me like literally last minute or just no show me so whenever i get to actually interview i'm very happy <laughs> yeah i know i'm in your world i know exactly what you mean <laughs> yeah you think people would show up for a service that you're like we get to help you get your name out there in your business and they're like yeah <laughs> i i know all right cool so let's get into this tell us a little bit about yourself and uh your story because i've heard it's pretty good so we'll uh, start there all right. Uh, thank you first for having me on, Chris. I really appreciate it. It's an honor and a privilege to do any of these. For me, at least, I always think of it as someone asked me to, to do something with them. I always say it's a privilege. It's an honor. So don't flake. Um, as you guys know, my name is Max Naist. If you see the last name, yes, it is difficult. You wouldn't think it was a long A. But um. Yeah, I, I know. You want the long version or the short version? But I'll, I'll just give you the truth. And here's my truth. So um, at the end of this month, on September 27th, I'll celebrate 18 years clean and sober. And, um, you know, it hasn't always been, like you said, the, the, the entrepreneur, you know, path is not always pretty, right? And it's yeah. the same with, with recovery, which led me to the entrepreneurial world. But um. You know, I think most of my struggles have come in my recovery being sober. And I'll give you an example. So I, I didn't come from a like an abusive background. I had a single mother who worked very hard to give my brother and I everything we needed. Um, I went lived in a very, you know, middle class neighborhood next to an upper middle class neighborhood, went to a high school that was very diverse, you know, all kinds of different people. You know, I was a jock. Uh, back then I was the stoner, you know, I got along. I had, the, I was the guy that got along with everybody. Yeah. And, um, you know, little did I heed some, some warning signs, you know, and, and anytime I speak and I share my story, there's how I started is I went to a party at 13 and I didn't get home till I was 32. Mm. And there was a lot of headache and heartache in between. Right. But, um, like I said, you know, I barely graduated high school. You know, I started experimenting with marijuana and alcohol back at age of 13 in junior high. Wasn't really an issue um, until I want to say my junior year or senior year when, you know, I was starting to experiment with other things like cocaine, you know, and I I didn't realize I was on that path. Right. Because I was I was young. I'm, you know, I'm 17, 18 years old. I'm having fun. Um, So you know, when I barely uh, graduated high school, you know, and I had been hearing this from my mother, you know, long before I graduated, but, you know, one day she came, you know, storming into my room and she says, you're not going to do this anymore. And I looked at her like, you know, it was 12 or one o'clock in the afternoon. I'm looking at her like, what am I doing wrong? You know, I'm trying to sleep here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she says this, and I said, what's this? And she says, you're not going to sleep. You know, you're not going to go out on the weekends all, you know, party till wee hours of the morning and come home and sleep all day. So you got like three choices. And I said, okay, what's that? And she says, you can work full time. You can go to school full time, 
or you're going to work part-time and go to school part-time, but you're not going to do what you've been doing your senior year pretty much. And I said, okay. And it really made me think. And I was like, okay, um, this is, uh, I am, you know, kind of part of, not kind of, a part of me realized I was on a dime, downward spiral. And if I didn't do something extreme, um, you know, that I knew that I was going to get myself in some big trouble. And uh, so I, what I did, the next best thing is I signed up for the Navy. You know, I joined the military straight out of high school and um, I had like a two week break, but I knew, you know, like I said, and I remember when I came back from the recruiter's office and I told my mom, home, you know, I'm, I'm joining the Navy. I'm, I'm going to be leaving in about a month. And she just kind of looked at me like, wow, that was extreme. You know, yeah. but <laughs> part of her was like, I'm happy. Right. Because, you know, she I have, you know, five older siblings you know, and the, the girls in my family didn't have any issues when it comes to substance abuse. Um, but my, my little brother, which I'll get into in a minute, but and my two older brothers, right. I have an older brother who will celebrate 38 years clean in December. Okay. Um, and then I have a brother that's between him and I, and um, he's 10 years older and he had an alcohol problem, but he's been sober for over a year now. So, you know, better late than never. And then yeah. I lost a brother to suicide, you know, because of his addiction. And yeah. so anyway, I go to the service, right. But before then I, you know, I get to go to Hawaii for two weeks. It was my graduation present. And I come back and I go to boot camp. you know, Navy, it was good for me because it gave me that discipline that I needed. And for, I'm talking for me, right. For me, yeah. I, I thrive in that kind of structure, that kind of, that kind of discipline, right. When in the beginning, someone's telling me what I got to do when yeah. I have to do it, how I have to do it. And um, so I went, you know, boot camp went well. Um, uh, and I remember, uh, so once I graduated boot camp, here's when this, well, my signs started, you know, coming up. But again, I didn't heed the signs. So I get sent to uh, Treasure Island, which is just on the other side of San Francisco. Okay. It's on the Bay, Bid Bay Bridge side. And I think it's closed now, but it used to be a base where they had schools, you know, for the, for the Navy. And I went to a school there and, and I was like in hog heaven. So Chris, let me tell you when you're 18 years old, right. Yep. You first get there, they tell you, you're going to go into town because it's fleet week. So what fleet week is they bring all the ships in, right. And all the officers have to stay on board the ship and give tours to the civilians. And we get to go out in town and have fun. Right. So on one of the piers, they had all the beer you could drink hmm. and Stevie Ray Vaughn is playing a free concert for us enlisted yeah. guys. So at 18 with all the beer I can drink and I'm in the military, I feel like I have arrived. Right. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but I did well in school. I partied every weekend. Guys hated me because I would party, you know, I, I studied, but I'd always go out into town to me and a buddy would always go out into town. And of course we drink. And, um, Guys didn't understand how I could stay up all night or party, you know, with a couple hours sleep, come back and, and ace a test. And, you know, I, for some reason, that kind of school, which was a like a pipe fitting uh, ship's firefighter plumber that, you know, I learned yeah. all this stuff for a ship. And it just came to me and I was able to graduate the you know top 5% of the class. And um, excuse me. Um, and then so right before graduation, right? Actually, it's when you first arrive and you check in, they give you this thing called a dream sheet. 
and they, you know, always preface it, you know, put down what you want, but you're not guaranteed to get it. But we just want to see where you'd like to go. So being from California, I didn't put any port, nothing even the closest port I put was Hawaii, of course, because I loved Hawaii. And uh, so I graduate and that day I graduate, I get my orders and it's to Long Beach, California, which is literally 20 minutes from my house. Yeah. And I'm just going, you know, my head's going off like, oh, man, I just left that frying pan. Now I'm going back into it. But I thought, you know, I have the discipline. I can do it. Right. So, you know, going back to the environment where I just left, which my mom didn't want me to be around, you know, I called her up and I said, mom, don't pack my room. I said, I'm coming home. She goes, what happened? Because, you know, back in the 80s, or at least the late 80s, you know, the, the commercial was, this is not just a job, it's an adventure, right? And they'd always show the ships out on the ocean and guys, you know, the planes leaving the carriers. She goes, what happened to your adventure? And I said, I guess, well, it's going to be in California. She's like, wow. And again, you know, not getting out of that environment. I, I started where I left off, right? I actually got in trouble. Um, in the service, while I was in the service on my ship, I got busted for testing positive for cocaine because in 1986 was the first year the military started having a no, you know, a zero tolerance for drugs. Yeah. And, um, you know, they would test us on the ship. We'd have to, you know, do a urinalysis and I ended up getting in trouble. You know, long story short, I get busted. I ended up having to do 45 days restriction, 45 days extra duty. And I remember <laughs> telling my mom, I'm not coming home. I, we have to do some like war gate. I gave her, I made up some stuff but later. I knew she knew that I was full of, you know what, but, um, you know, and then I would meet who was my ex-wife today, like right before, cause I would hurt my ankle while I was on board that ship, like three times. And the third time was like, I did everything to it, but break it. So they were like, yeah, you, we, we're just going to operate. We're going to fix you. And then we're going to let you go. So then I ended up being on the Naval station for, I think it was the last nine months of, of my, well, I was supposed to do four years. I ended up doing just over three and a half. Yeah. And, um, you know, so then I meet this lady who's my ex-wife now and, you know, we're, we're getting, we're planning a wedding and, you know, and then we find out she's pregnant with our first child. And, you know, that kind of stopped me for a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I, I stopped doing all the other stupid stuff. Right. Cause I have a son yeah. and I remember the day I found out he was coming, I threw a pack of Marlboro Reds away and I was a heavy smoker, you know, before I quit, I was smoking two to three packs a day. Um, and so I quit, you know, yes, I drank here and there, but I was like excited to become a father. And, you know, so we have our first child, we end up getting married, have our first child and we have our second and our third. And during this time, right. I'm trying to, cause I take, you know, I, I was taking my marriage vows seriously and, you know, I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good husband. I get out of the military, you know, it's kind of hard at first, you know, finding a job. And then, um, you know, with help of her father-in-law, I ended up working for a company called Xerox. I don't know if you remember them. Yeah. Back, back when I start working with them, at least the division I worked in, it was the only money-making division they had at the time because we we're going through like all that, you know, um, recession and everything. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm with that job for a while, you know, trying to raise my family, but the, the addiction, the, you know, is starting to kick back in and, you know, first it's with drinking and stuff like that. And, you know, as the, the marriage fell apart, things got worse. And, um, 
So I'll kind of move forward to that because, you know, I was living the white picket fence, you know, married, you know, suit and tie briefcase kind of guy. Um, the marriage starts to crumble and we end up getting a divorce. Right. And I go from that to the streets in about a year's time, right? Like things just fell apart quick. Cause why? So at the time, you know, I'm going through this divorce. My brother has doing his first stint in prison and, um, um, I'm living with my mom, right? And she has this huge garage. You could literally park four cars in it, right? Two in the front, yeah. two in the back. And I said, you know what? I was thinking to myself, I build a room in here. I, I can technically say I don't live with mom because it's my own little place. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm rationalizing stuff already. Yeah, yeah. So I do that, right? But in this process, I find, you know, as I'm cleaning out the garage to do all this, I find a spoon and a needle. And it clicks. I know what my brother's doing, right? He's doing drugs, right? And I find out he's doing meth. So what happened was, and, and this is like a pivotal time in that process, right? Because I really had no one to like talk to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I had no one to show me the way as a husband, you know, even in a divorce, like who I had really no one. My mom was like, she didn't know what to do because my mom was older. And um, so I get this call right in that process. I find that needle and I find that um, that spoon and I hold on to it. And then I get this call one day after work uh, on the answering machine saying, hey, it's it was my ex-wife. Call me. Um, and it was from a 202 area code. Right. So I'm in California and I know this is not going to be good. You know, when you get that gut feeling. Yeah. Like, I'm just, I'm thinking to myself, like, this call is not going to go well, you know? And then I finally get the courage to call and I call her that night and she says, yeah, she goes, I just want to let you know, I took the kids and I moved to Nebraska. And it's that you want to talk about like the air being let out of your balloon and being yeah. deflated. And like, those are the, the, my kids were the only, you know, my three children were the only thing holding me together. You know, yeah. that they were like the glue that kept me together because every weekend I would get the kids, you know, I would let my friends know, don't come by because I have my kids. I don't want them to, you know, see me like that. So, you know, I was holding it together on the weekends because I would have my kids. And then when she did that, it just like crushed me. Yeah. And then I remember and I was like, okay. And I flipped, you know, like I literally broke down, cried. I just couldn't believe because my uh, oldest daughter was getting ready to turn five at the time so you know i found out what my brother was doing what my friends were doing you know so i i went and bought some methamphetamine about a good quarter ounce worth and and i remember the room was done right and i had i had my bed in there i had my tv coffee table little couch you know my little area and i laid it out with the spoon and you know really nice and pretty and i called my brother over because he was out of prison at the time and you know but i knew he was partying and we went around he came in the room i locked the door because there was one way in and one way out and i locked that door and i said you're going to show me how to do this and we went around for like two hours no i'm not yes you are no i'm not yes you are and i i finally gave him an ultimatum and i said look there's two ways you're going to get out of this room you show me how to do that or we're going to have to fight and you're going to have to beat me up you know not in so nice of words yeah and he was like, okay, you know, and he was pissed, you know, and, and he showed me, he did it and talk about like things falling apart quickly after that. Cause then I found 
Chris, I found I didn't have to feel right because alcohol yeah. wasn't working anymore. When you introduced meth, it was like it was on the game on. But little did I know it would take everything from me. Right. So I yeah. ended up, you know, I'm I'm barely working. Right. I can't even work with friends because I'm too busy getting high. And, you know, I'm, I'm closing down the local bar down the street at three o'clock in the morning, getting home, you know, and I'm doing sticking a needle in my arm. And, you know, about nine months later, I would get a call from the ex saying, I'm coming back. The kids want to see you. And I'm in full flight from reality. I'm doing everything in my power not to feel, basically. So I'm yeah. doing meth and I'm drinking like, you know, from sunup till sundown or whenever I passed out. But when I got that call, I was like excited. Yeah, I want to see my kids, right? So you got to understand this is summertime. I probably lost 20, 30 pounds, you know, and I'm all dark circles under my eye you know i'm just i'm not looking my best but i think i look great <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know so i asked a friend if i could borrow her car and you know so i could not miss this meeting right because um where i'm living in orange county in cyprus i go i didn't want to miss it so i parked in front of my wife's house and now she's married to a new guy right yeah my ex-wife and and i remember sitting there you know i pass out it's a hot summer you know, it's a hot summer that summer. And next thing I know, I realize I'm getting, you know, I hear a knock at the window and it's my ex-wife with the three kids just staring at me through the, through the window, right. Knocking like, it. and I'll never forget the look, Chris. It was just this look of disgust, like, and, and like pity, if you know what I mean? Like, wow. Like that's not the guy I, I knew, you know, my kids, yeah. thank God they don't remember it, but it was crazy. So I, you know, I woke up and she just, she felt so bad, you know, like she didn't know what to do at that time, Like she had no clue. And she let me end up spending the night at her house that night. So I could be with the kids. And that would be the last time I would see my kids for about nine years. Oh, wow. Right. So what happened was that guilt and shame kicked in so hard. Like I can't even explain it. It just was so bad that like it, it increased, it, it made me use even harder. Right. Cause I did not want to feel that. Yeah. That vision of them looking at me through the window, just, it was just, I was a sad shell of a father, a human being, right? Cause my, and my addiction took off and, and Chris, I could tell you, like I could be in the house next door to him. And I was so ashamed that I would either wait till they went to sleep at night to leave, or I'd wait till they went to school and, you know, my ex and her husband went to work and I would scurry off and do my thing. And then my, my disease progressed, you know, like tenfold. Because yeah. I just, I just didn't know. I didn't have anybody to go to. I didn't know. I just didn't know. Right. And um, so what would happen kind of fast forward, um, you know, after that, it got, it kept, you know, it's seriously getting worse, you know, first, you know, I'm getting in trouble for minor, like misdemeanor, you know, or like traffic tickets, and then I'm yeah. not taking care of it. And, you know, it starts getting worse and worse. And I'm, you know, I finally get on probation, you know, um, I remember getting my first felony. And that was just, it was like, I looked myself, you know, I couldn't even look myself in the mirror. Like when yeah. I would shower, I would brush my teeth and try to shave in the shower, because I didn't want to see what I look like. Um, so fast forward, you know, my addiction is at its height, you know, I haven't done anything a judge, I've been on probation for like seven years, right on and off, because I'm not doing what the judge is telling me. And I happen to have the same one through this whole process, right? Yeah. And I remember the last time I got in trouble, 
right? I was in a city next to where I kind of grew up and it's known for its gang activity. And a friend of mine asked me to go pick up a friend and I go, okay. And little did I realize this would be like the kick in the butt I needed, right? So I've already done a 30 day violation. I've done a 60 day, I've done a 90 day. My, so like in Orange County, I have no more county time, as they say. Yeah. So if I ever get in trouble, it's only two weeks and then I'm going to prison, like period. Yeah. Right. So um, I picked this guy up for a friend, you know, to bring her because she lives in the city I'm staying at. And, you know, he's gang related. He's a gang member. And next thing I know, we pull out of his street onto the main street to go to her house. And I get lit up by the L.A. County Sheriff gang unit. Like, great. Like, you know, I have, I have my mom's car. I have no license, yeah. no insurance. And everything I own is in the trunk of her car at that time. It's yeah. one big duffel bag. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, so I pull over, you know, and he's kind of stressed out. I'm stressed out, but I'm like, there's something that came over me where I said, I'm done. Like, I'm done. I can't do this. I'm getting too old. You know, I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I've been doing this for so long. I'm like, this is not getting me me anywhere and you know as a deputy came up on the passenger side and one came up on my side I, I just said hey officer I said I have a warrant you need to take me in and I could see the look in my rear view like what <laughs> and I, I repeated he said what did you say I said I have a warrant I said I'm on probation I've been you know I have a warrant and he was like he gave me this look like wow no one's ever done that yeah and you know, so they take the guy who I picked up out of the car. They're talking to him. They end up letting him walk home. And this guy's a known gang member. I'm yeah. just like, great. He goes, well, since you were so honest with us, you know, and your mom's close by, we're going to let her pick up her car. And I was like, thank God. Because if you don't, if you impound it, you might as well send me upstate because I don't want to be anywhere near that lady. She's going to kill me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. that, yep. that was my thinking. And um, and that would set in motion where to where I'm at today, right? And the things I've done. So I'm going to kind of jump forward. So I go to jail, right? And I got to tell you this. So for the audience, this is this is one of those moments of clarity that I got. Yeah. Right? So I think I'm a week or two in. My mom comes to visit, right? And she picks up the glass. She's looking at it, you know, looking at across, you know, through the glass. And I pick up the phone. And, and before I can speak, she just looks at me and says, you know, I love you, son but you're no longer welcome at my home. If you come near my home, I will call the police. And if my neighbors see you and I'm not there, they're going to call the police. What are you going to do? And for the first time in my life, you know, through my addiction, um, I, I paused and I said, I don't know. And I look over and she's starting to cry. And I'm like, why are you crying? You get to go home. I got to go back to my cell. You know, it's, she goes, that's the best answer you ever gave me. And she goes, I hope you, you know, I love you. And, and that was it. And it was true, though, because Chris, at that time, I go, I was done. You know, I didn't want to give her any empty promises because I could tell you all the time she had come visited before. It was yeah. like, I promise I'll find the grandkids. You know, I'll get a job. I promise I'll do better. Blah, 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 blah. Right. So that's why I understand now why she started to cry because she was thought you know and she would tell me later that you know god had answered her prayers when i said i don't know so then that brought that process right i'm going through the judicial system i have yeah. the same judge 
right? And I'm on probation, so I don't get to get bail, right? It's called a no bail warrant. I'm sitting there and I'm going to sit in there for at least four months, I think, right? Because in Orange County at that time, a six-month violation, you would do four if you had good time. So I'm thinking, okay, four months, I'll be out. Well, the judge finally sees me after being in there for about a month. And, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, man, send me to prison because I'm beat. I'm done. Three hots in a cot. I know how to do this. You know, this is I'm getting used to it. How sad is that? Right. Yeah. I mean, going to jail so much. And he goes, ah, you know, he just looked at me like, I don't even know what to say. Like, you have done nothing. I asked. Um, he goes, I'll just see you next month. Right. And I'm like, oh, wow. So I'm in about two months, three months. They find they find this place called at the, well it's still around it's one of the biggest like treatments yeah it's it's geared towards like probation and 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 parolees but it's called the Phoenix House right but see when you have all this time on your hand in a cell with a bunch of other guys right they all tell you like you find the guys that have been through that program and they're like dude you don't want to go there they sit you in the middle of a circle and they just bash you and you can't say a word. So when I come back, he says, you know, I think about the Phoenix house. I raised my hand. I said, no, your honor. I don't think so. I said, unless you want me to have a new charge. And he just looked at me like, you're an idiot. You know what I mean? All right, I'll see you. Just, I'll see you. I'm not even going to mess with you. So I come back fourth month, right? Yeah. And now there's this place called the Hope House, which again, like, you know, we have all these, what they call jailhouse lawyers and whatever. Yeah. And they said, you know, yeah, you don't want to go there, bro. I'm like, why? They go, they got time out bench. And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, no, that's something I give my kids. Right. So I go back and see the judge and, you know, my attorney's like, well, we're thinking the Hope House might be good for him, your honor. And, and he's thinking and I look at him and I raise my hand again. I said, no, your honor, time out bench. Really? I go, that's what I give my kids. Not knowing not. He didn't know that I hadn't seen my kids in nine years. Right. But I'm saying ah, that's something I do with my kids and. And then my lawyer looks at me like, you're an idiot. And he goes, I remember what him, him telling me. He goes, look, you have done nothing that I've asked of you, right? So you're not leaving my jail. There's two ways you leave my jail. You either go to prison or we find you a place. And I'm like, wow. Right? So here comes month five. And I, I meet this guy in jail, right, that ends up He's in prison again. I have no idea what happened to him, but we became good friends. And, you know, he came to the sober living slash treatment center I went to. And, um, but he told me, he goes, Oh dude, all you got to do is stay, go to your meetings, stay sober, pay your rent on time and they'll leave you alone. So I'm thinking, okay, well, there's no timeout bench, right? I'm thinking to myself and there's no <laughs> sitting in a circle getting bashed on. I can, I can do that. So I go back to, you know, it's month five. I go back to, to court and i have a new public defender and she's i tell her about the place and she says well let me see so she goes over to talk to probation because when you're going through that there's always you know the da your public defender and then probation so she goes to the desk and she comes back she goes well they said it's not probation approved but i'm gonna fight for you so she goes up and asks the judge if she can. So here goes probation. They all go up to the, judge, to the judge's bench, right? And they're all talking. And, and then he says, Mr. Nay, stand up. You know, and he says, I'm going to send you there. And I'm thinking, cool, right? Maybe 60, 90 days, and then I'll be back to doing what I know best. So as I listen to him, and he's, you know, saying, you know, if you slip up, 
I'm going to send you to prison. And what I didn't hear at first was I'm going to send you there for a year. Mm. And then I was like, Whoa, he goes, yeah, I'll send you there. I'm going to send you there for a year. And if you slip up one millimeter, you're going to prison. I was like, wow. And I almost raised my hand again, Chris, but I said, no, I have one of those things. I, I didn't pass up the opportunity to keep my mouth shut. And I said, okay. And you know, that would begin my, my journey in recovery. And, you know, I can tell you, um, you know, I went to this place, like when I got out of jail, the last time, Chris, all I had was a tank top board shorts and flip. I had nothing. I had lost everything, yeah. not just my kids, but my home, my car, I, I had a bunch of tools. Those got taken from me by people that were stealing from me while I was in jail. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I began this journey, not knowing what AA was or NA right? I didn't know what sober living meant. I didn't know what treatment was because I had never done anything the judge had asked me to do. So I went to this place and, you know, I, I began the journey. And I remember I was like, I just got, I was nearly there six months, just like the judge said, and they yeah. finally had a bed open. They came, pick me up. And I remember my first room was on the, you know, upstairs and I had my own balcony so I could see the cars go by and you know, they bought me a brand new pack of cigarettes. So I remember because I hadn't seen cars or had freedom in six, almost six months. And I was just smoking like a chimney. Right. And um, yeah, I remember, you know, five fifteen in the morning came around the house managers turning on the lights and yelling into the rooms, five fifteen, gentlemen, time to get up time for a meeting. And I'm like, what, who gets up at five fifteen to go to a meeting? So there was a meeting we had to go to it was a 6am. That one was mandatory seven days a week. And then we had to go to a night meeting and they had different ones that we could go to at night, but like for four, seven days a week, we were in a meeting. And um, so I went to my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and I'll never forget this blonde lady came up and hugged me and said, welcome. And I stiffened up like a board, looked at her like she wanted something for me, you know, and I had nothing. Yeah. And I remember I had to borrow sweats from you know people that took off and so i had to go in the garage so i have these sweats have no pockets uh, I, i'm in a sweatshirt because it's starting to become winter and i remember it just like i'm searching my pocket my house manager goes max you got no pockets what are you doing just go sit down she didn't take anything from you right because where i came from i didn't i didn't have that right like yeah. guys in jail don't hug you and you know and i can tell you stories about you know one, another time I'll go back a little bit where I was sitting with my bunkie and I was in this total self-pity moment, right? Everything was poor me, poor me, poor me. How much I loved my kids. Well, I hadn't seen my kids, right? The only thing I had of my kids, which a friend of mine used to call, she called it babysitting because she'd always make sure that picture was there when I got out. Yeah. And I told this guy how much I loved my kids and blah, 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 blah. And it got silent for a second. And then he said, hey, homie, if you love your, can, can, I don't know if I can use strong language here, but I just want to give you the idea <laughs> that he's, if you love your kids so much, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah. And I was like, I jumped down like, wow, this guy just disrespected me. And, you know, in that kind of setting, you don't let anybody disrespect you. And he stood up. We're face to face, nose to nose. And it came over me like, man, he's absolutely right. Right. And I said, you're right, bro. I said, you're, you're like, you're a hundred percent spot on. And he goes, I know I am. He goes, go get right. 
we gave each other a hug and I went to bed and, and that was one of those moments where I knew I had, hmm. you know, I'm 30 something years old, 29 years old or whatever at the time. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking to myself, like, this is my life. I'm either going to go to prison and I'm going to become, you know, I'm going to get my first number. I'm going to be a convict and right. But I had no idea what to do, but thank God I, they sent me to that place. Right. Cause now the guy that I would ask to sponsor me, who's been my sponsor now for almost 18 years, Little that I know he would save my life because he would never tell me to do anything. He would always suggest we work together. And that man helped me get rid of a lot of the secrets I was carrying, if you know yeah. what I mean. And through the step work, through the 12 steps, um, you know, and I know that recovery is different for everybody, but the 12 step, I'm a proponent of the 12 steps. It saved my life, um, you know. And so it set me on this journey. And, um, you know, at six months sober, right, which I would, I find out, you know, now I, I realize, but later I would realize that I was just going through the motions, even though yeah. I went through the steps with my sponsor, right? Like I finished them by six months and, you know, I didn't realize at that time I was leaving out a lot of stuff. And, um, right, I hadn't seen my kids. And when I got out, I was writing my ex-wife saying, hey, I want to see the kids, you know, please write me back and let me know if that's okay. For six months, I did that and no response. So I'm like, okay, I, I get it, right? What I did to my children is just, you know, it's horrible. Yeah. And um, so I understood, there was part of me that understood. And so at six months, I'm, I'm at my first real job in sobriety you know, I'm earning a paycheck. I'm paying my child support, even though I haven't seen the kids, you know, and yeah, I'm making decent money. I have my first cell phone and, and I get, I'm going to the truck to get some tools and my phone rings and it's like, Hey, is this max? And I didn't even recognize it was my ex-wife. And I said, yeah, who's this? And when she told me, I almost like fainted, you know what I mean? Like my legs, I was like, wow. Like she goes, I finally got your letters. Um, you know, I'm down here in Chula Vista, you know, by San Diego, the kids would love to see you. I said, all right. So my brother and I, who got sober about the same time would go down every weekend. Right. So you figure I got six months sober. I'm doing great. Now I'm getting to see my kids a week shy of 10 months sober, Chris, I relapsed. Yeah. I, I go, I leave the facility. I go on a three day run, three more relapses would follow. And five months have gone by. I haven't talked to my ex. I haven't talked to the kids and a whole debacle would start right all over again. And I remember that after the last time I relapsed, you know, my sponsor, my mentor would tell me, don't call her. We'll do, there's a way to do that. You just, you, in her eyes, you just abandoned them again, but yeah. I didn't hear that. Right. So at 30 days sober, I want to go, I want to be honest. And I remember calling her and you know, going, Hey, Susan, it's Max. I know you haven't heard from me in five months, but I relapsed. I just want to call And before I could finish. I heard stuff come out. I think she made up cuss words that day. Right? <laughs> and, you know, like I'm imagining the exorcist on the other end, her head is spinning. She's spitting out, you know, pea soup and, you know, F you. But what I did remember is like, you did that to the kids again. You did it to me again you will never see these kids as long as I live. And I remember her slamming the phone down. I was like, wow. Right. So then I went on this journey of, of, you know, trying to follow direction and right. And I would take a year sober. So, but in the meantime, I told my 
sponsor. And this is when my first year, my nickname was idiot for a long, a long time. So I told him what I did. He goes, you're an idiot. I told you not to do that. But here's some direction. Call her once a week, right? I got another job, um, a really good job, paying job, a lot of overtime. And he said, you're going to call her once a week. You're going to tell her you're sober. You're going to tell her you're working. And if she calls you a name, you go, you're right. And you hang up. So I did that for the next 14 months, Chris, every <laughs> week. And yeah. I got the same answer every week. F you don't call me click. Right. And sometimes I would wonder why she would answer just to probably cuss me out, but whatever. <laughs> right. And, and then I remember I got a call two days before Thanksgiving shoot now, 18 years ago, it was two days before Thanksgiving. And she said, this is Susan. I'm at my parents. I'm back in orange County be at my parents for Thanksgiving. Don't be late. Click. Dang. So I've been now, I've been a part of my kid's life again for the past 18 years. Right. So the recovery, the hard work paid off. Yeah. Right. So I'm seeing my kids right now. They're in orange County. So I don't need my brother anymore. <laughs> right. And, uh, but that's a journey, right? It's like my kids have never seen me loaded, you know, Chris, and you always hope that, you know, cause I'm doing a program, right? I'm living right. I'm being honest. I'm, I'm not picking up any drugs. You know, you hope your kids, you know, and all three, all four of my kids, I have a son from an ex-girlfriend who does not want to talk to me for some reason, thinks everything is my fault, but you know, all I can do is lead by example. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, those kids have not seen me drunk or loaded and all of them have had some type of issue. Right. And like, this is where I'll, I'll get into, uh, what happened in my recovery, which then led to my being coming an entrepreneur, right? So I told you that I went through some major stuff in my recovery, right? And so beginning about five years ago, um, I would lose some family members. So three days after I turned 13 years sober, my sister who had suffered from Parkinson's died three days before I turned 13, mm -hmm. right? Which the family was okay with, I mean, yeah, it was my sister. She was probably the closest I was with besides my little brother. Um, because she was like kind of mother sister figure in my life. Right. Cause she had five boys and we we're all close in age. And we used to, every summer I'd spend the summer with my sister, but she had a 25 year battle with this. So she went peacefully, you know, I heard. And um, so I get hit with that. And then um, I, and during this time, I'm getting ready to leave Orange County with my ex-fiance. I'm going to move to Minnesota so we can be closer to her daughter. So we're on our way, right? We're in Denver, Colorado. So this is like eight months later. I'm sitting at a booth in Denver, Colorado. My oldest brother calls and says, hey, my brother, our brother's gone. And if you knew my brother, Chris, he's the kind of guy that would do things spur the moment. Very impulsive, right? Like to go on a camping trip or go on a long motorcycle ride or or go surf, whatever. Right. So it was never, that was like, not a surprise. And I go, what do you mean he's gone? And then I heard my brother start to cry and I've never heard my older brother cry. And he says, he's gone. He hung himself. So right there in the middle of Denny's in Denver, Colorado, I lose my shit. Like, I can't believe what I just heard. You know what I mean? Like, what do you mean? He hung himself. Yeah. He hung himself. He died last night. You know wow. what I mean? I was like, yeah. I was just like in shock. And, um, you know, I remember calling my sponsor. He was the first person I called. 
um he didn't know what to say you know what i mean like what do you say to somebody that just lost their brother to suicide you know my fiance at the time my ex she had no idea how to comfort me right and we still had to go to minnesota right so we take off i remember my you know my sponsor my mentor stayed on the phone even though i couldn't speak just to, and he would reassure me for like a couple of hours hey i'm here if you need to talk you know my my ex is like patting me on the shoulder and i'm just there's 20 million things going through my head and um so we finally get to minnesota like a day and a half later after that and you know i have to go home i gotta go see what's going on with mom and you know i get asked to do his eulogy and i just remember like it was and it was kind of like before that but i knew i was going home so i called you know we all know who chris whitehead is right yeah and um so i've known chris for 10 years like and i've known him and i've worked with him on and off he's one of my mentors my coach and you know, I was always the great procrastinator, but he was the one that helped me put together my outline for my book. And I remember calling him and I told him what happened. I said, hey, Chris, man, this is what happened. I said, I need to write my book. And he goes, all right, let's do it. Right. And then he put me in contact with Lonnie, who, you know, another coach and mentor I knew that was Chris's business partner yeah. and best friend you know, uh, he, we all connect again, right? Because every time I would do something with those guys, I would, I was like great out of the starting gate. And then I would fizzle really quick. I was like, the, I was the rabbit, right? I would quick. And then I would be too tired to, you know, and I'd come up with 20 million excuses. So we get in contact with each other and we start working towards this book. And um, little did I realize that that began my entrepreneurial adventure. I like to call it an adventure, right? Even though there's some struggles that go along with it. Yeah. But, you know, I end up getting the book written two years ago. I get it out and I start thinking to myself, you know, wow, this is crazy. Like all this stuff in my family that's happening. And, you know, I, I decide that I want to do something different because, you know, after my brother would pass away six months to the day on Thanksgiving Day, my mom would pass away literally Chris of a broken heart. And then that following, cause that was a Thursday that following Monday, I would put my daughter into treatment. Yeah. Right. And then as recently as two years ago, I would lose my granddaughter to mitochondrial disease. Oh. Now, I don't know if, you know, I don't know if you read my post uh, the other day, yesterday where my, and then a week after my granddaughter passes, I'm on my way to work. I just pull out of my driveway and I get the call from my daughter. Who's hysterical. I said, dad, you need to get to the hospital your son's going to die. I'm like, what? All right. So I race down to Orange County. I go to the hospital. My son at 30 years old, because of his drug use and poor habits and poor choices has yeah. a major stroke. Oh, wow. Right. Right. So like I'm going through all this and I, I even get people in the program going, you have every reason to drink or use. And I said, no, I don't. Right. Like what good, you know, and then something clicks in my head. They'll like, I want to help people get through this. That's why I called my book fearless happiness. Right. And I put yeah. the why in the happiness because I want to teach people. Yeah. Are we going to overcome fear? No, not a hundred percent. Right. But we can always do those things that we want to do despite our fear. Right. We just, we have the courage to move on, even though we're scared to death and whatever that case may be. Right. Yeah. And, and I, cause I went through it and you know, and and then the happiness part, the reason I put a why in there is because happiness comes from within, like no one can make me happy, right? Not even my, my gorgeous wife, you know, and as amazing she is like, I have to find happiness. So I want to help people. So I, 
I've been on this path for the last couple of years to start a coaching business and help, you know, high performers, CEOs, executives who all of a sudden find themselves struggling with substance abuse because they've been working so hard to keep their businesses going. You yeah. know what I mean? And, um, you know, and being a part of, of our, our network, it, it's just, you know, the, the people like yourself are so amazing. Like when we went through, uh, 75 hard and, you know, doing all that stuff, you know, it just pushed me and it made me realize that I could do it. I just have to, as they, as you know, they say, do the work. And, yeah. um, so now I've been on a mission ever since. So that's kind of like where I've come from, what I'm doing. And, and now it's just, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and never giving up and never stopping. So I, I hope, I hope that helps. Uh, your audience. Absolutely. And that's it, what I really like about it is it shows that one, I hear a lot of excuses from people about, you know, I came from bad background, all this stuff that doesn't stop you from being an entrepreneur and bettering your life. Or even if it's not being an entrepreneur, it doesn't stop you from bettering your life. Um, Absolutely. At what point do you take the responsibility to change your life? Right. And as hard as it is, as many times as you're going to stumble to get out of it, you can always move forward. It, again, it's just, it's difficult, but you can do it. Right. And that's the reason I started too, because I realized that, you know, like our apex group, right? Like when I was getting sober and staying sober, like the people that truly surrounded me and wanted me to be a better human, because that was just the right thing to do. And they really, truly cared about me. You know what I mean? Like I have people like my sponsor who said, you know, I, I love you enough to tell you the truth, even if it hurts. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of like our group, right? Like, so if we're going to help people, right. If we're going to be an entrepreneur that truly like, cause if you think about the great ones, right. Like the ones that are really, really, really successful, like Ryan Stuman, right. Like mm -hmm. Andy Frisella, uh, Ed Milet, like all those guys, even like the, um, Warren Buffett's of the world or the, you know, if you look at them, they've always, they're helping somebody in some way. Right. Yeah. And that's what I've learned through our group. Right. Cause they say our net worth is our network. Yeah. Our network is our network uh, net worth. Right. And so now I just try to align myself with people that think like I do, that do the things like I do that take care of like, you know, themselves physically, mentally, emotionally, they take care of the people around them, right? Because I was one of the most selfish people, like you heard, right? Like I took off from my kids for nine years. Yeah. Like you can't get any more selfish than that. And what I've learned though, is that I can't change the past, but I can change my future, but what I do in the present, right? So now I have to lead by example, even if my kids say my daughters like to argue with me and you know, you see us enough. And I'm like, well, but you know, it goes two ways. Yeah. Right. To watch my son celebrate a year clean and sober and just see the light in his eyes back on. Yeah. You know, that's why I do what I do. And, and hopefully I get to help a lot of people along the way. That's awesome. So how do people get in touch with you and uh, learn more about you and what you do? Um, you can reach me on Facebook, Max Naced, you know, um, and I J S T. Yeah, I know. It doesn't sound like a Naced. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm on Instagram as I am Max Nace. Um, you can message me on, on Facebook. Um, I have a group called fearless happiness names right after my book. Um, or you can email me at fearless at gmail.com. And, 
yeah any uh, if anybody ever needs support please feel free to reach out you know if i can't help you i will definitely find someone that can awesome that's how i work yeah <laughs> well thank you so much for joining me today this has been great thank you for having me chris I know I did a lot of talking, so thank you for letting no, me. No, that's uh, perfectly fine. It's less work I have to do. And, uh, you know, I do these things and I bring guests on and it's not really me that they want to listen to. All right. <laughs> so uh, it's all about the stories everyone brings to, you know, to the table. So thank you for being open with everyone. And, uh, yeah, I hope the best for you moving forward. <laughs> thank you, sir. I really appreciate you having me on. Definitely yeah. was a, an honor for me. Absolutely. And thank you everyone for listening. Um, definitely reach out to Max if you have anything or if you want to grow your business or if you just want to you know, reach out again if anyone has issues. So until next time, everyone be good. <laughs>